Hello everyone, what is up you guys? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube as well for the video version and you are not going to want to miss it. So for today's case, we are talking about a wild case and one that I have wanted to share with you guys for a couple months, basically ever since it happened. And it took place a couple months ago and I have been following it like a hawk since it came out. I've joined the Facebook groups, I've watched the videos, I've seen it all. And I feel like now I'm at a place where I can accurately tell you guys about this case. But before we get into it today, I was going back and forth on whether or not I wanted to preface this in the beginning of the video or if I wanted to wait until the end. However, I think it's good to start with. So today we are talking about a woman who, no matter how great she was and how many positive and complimentary things the people who knew her had to say about her, just like every other human on the face of the planet, she had some skeletons in her closet, you could say, as we all do. No one is perfect, and as much as we as a society know this and we're aware of this, I think it's important to say, because the stereotype with true crime and true crime podcasts and these cases is, you know, in the beginning when we describe who we're talking about, we never have a bad thing to say about them. You know, they lit up a room, their smile could brighten anyone's day. And it's something that a lot of times, you know, people roll their eyes at. And I've seen it in my comments as well, where people dismiss all of those compliments because they don't see them as true or they don't, they, like, who could be this positive of a person? And of course, they always end up in these situations. But it's important to remember, none of us are perfect. And we are all aware of this. Not one person goes through life without a mistake or a regret or something that you would not want the world to know. And in this case in particular, I have seen some very nasty things written about this woman. And the truth of the matter is, is that we are only seeing one side of a story and we really don't know the entire truth about what went on behind closed doors when it comes to anyone's personal life or anyone's marriage or relationship. And while everyone has their own definition of what they qualify as a reasonable or an unforgettable mistake, I ask that you don't jump to conclusions because regardless of anything, this woman did not deserve to be murdered, point blank, period, however you want to put it. And so just go into it with an open mind. I know you all will, but with that all being said, let's jump right on into it today. So we are talking about a woman named Orsoya Gall, and she was born on September 12th, 1970, and she is actually originally from Hungary, which is where her mother and sisters still live. However, for the past decade, Orsoya and her family were living in the beautiful Forest Hills residential neighborhood in Queens, New York. Now, Forest Hills is very idyllic. It is filled with Tudor-style homes and lined with beautiful landscaping. Now, at the time of her death, Orsoya had two sons. She had 13-year-old Leo and 17-year-old Jamie with her husband, Howard Klein. Now, Howard worked in finance while Orsoya was a stay-at-home mom. 
Now, right when this murder took place, I went onto Orsoya's Facebook account and I looked at her pictures. And one thing that I could definitely tell just right off the bat is that she loved to document everything. Orsoya was constantly documenting and taking pictures and posting these pictures on her social media. She was taking pictures of her solo travels. She was taking pictures of family travels or just dinners with friends or outings and social gatherings. She was always taking pictures. And all of these pictures really make it seem as if Orsoya was living the perfect life. She was going on these extravagant vacations. She had two beautiful children and a great husband and everything really seemed perfect. And Orsoya also had a lot of friends. She was very social and very likable. She's described as an incredibly loving and doting mother. Her kids are said to be her absolute world. And she was very much an animal lover and a nature lover. She had a dog and this dog was said to have been her little sidekick. This dog went with her everywhere. And her other interests included the arts. Orsoya was a big fan of theater and ballet, which she was honestly living in the perfect place for it. She was living right outside of New York. She had endless opportunities to go see shows and recitals, and she took full advantage of that. Often she would go either with her friends, her family, or even by herself to just watch these shows because she loved it that much. And overall, Orsoya is described as a very happy person. She was always smiling. She was always in good spirits. After her murder, there were so many people who came forward and only had the best things to say about her. I truthfully don't remember the last time I've seen so many people come forward to talk about a victim and to talk so highly about a victim. Not one person had a bad thing to say about her. She was said to have been always smiling and always in the best of spirits. She was always very social and everyone loved her. So where did it all go wrong. So Orsoya's murder occurred on the early morning hours of April 16th, 2022. So just a little under two months ago, but before we get into what happened there, let's talk about the timeline of what happened in the hours leading up and where Orsoya was the night prior on April 15th. So at this time, Howard and their oldest son, Jamie, were actually gone visiting colleges. Again, Jamie is 17 years old, so he was starting to think about where he wanted to go and what universities he wanted to look at. And on April 15th, him and his father, Howard, were in Portland, Oregon, looking at colleges, and they were planned to come home on April 16th. So because they were gone, that obviously left Orsoya and Leo at the house by themselves. And this day seemed like any normal, typical day. A neighbor recalls seeing Orsoya in the backyard with her dog earlier that afternoon, and she seemed in good spirits. They didn't exchange any conversation, but he said that this seemed like a very just normal outing. She wasn't acting like anything was wrong. She didn't seem upset. Everything seemed perfectly fine. Now on the night of April 15th, Orsoya actually had some plans of her own that night. And these plans consisted of going to the Lincoln Center to watch a show with some girlfriends. So she ended up going to the show and then separated from her friends afterwards. And after the show was finished, Orsoya then went to a bar. Now this bar was called the Forest Hills Station House and Orsoya was a regular here. Employees said Orsoya was a 
familiar face and they were very happy to see her when she walked in. She was always happy and always smiling and this night was no different. She wasn't acting weird at all, however, little did she know that these were her final moments of her life. Orsoya was at the bar by herself, which wasn't unusual for her. She did this quite often. She stayed there for about 45 minutes and ordered her regular drink, which was a Moscow mule. After finishing up at the bar, she then made her way back home and arrived back to her house around midnight. Now at this point, the next couple hours are a little bit of a blur. However, what we do know is that on the early morning hours of April 16th, there was a man named Glenn who was walking his dogs through the Forest Hills Park. This is something that he did very regularly. He'd lived in the Forest Hills area a very long time. However, while he was walking his dogs, he spotted a black wheeled duffel bag. He saw the bag laying half on the grass and half on the sidewalk. At first, he didn't think anything of it. This just seemed like any normal bag. However, when he got closer, he ended up seeing a large amount of blood leaking from out of the bag and onto the pavement. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So Glenn's first instinct was to kick the bag lightly to just see if he could get a feel for what was inside the bag or how heavy the bag was. And he said that when he kicked it, the bag was very, very heavy. So Glenn's next instinct was to then unzip the bag a little bit. He didn't do it fully, but just enough to the point where when he opened the bag slightly, he saw a pair of pale bare feet inside of the bag. Now, when Glenn saw these feet, it didn't really hit him what was going on. He said at first he thought maybe he was just opening a bag that had a mannequin inside of it, or this was just a theater prop of some sort. However, what we know now is that that was not the case. Now, at this point, Glenn decides to fully unzip the bag to really see what's going on. And when he did that, he saw the bottom half of a woman's body. The woman was wearing black skinny jeans and a belt, and he also saw the upper half of the woman's torso. And at that point, Glenn knew that he was not looking at a mannequin and that this was a body. And what we know now is that the body inside of the bag was Orsoya Gall. Orsoya's entire body had been stuffed into this bag head first, which is why when Glenn unzipped the bag, 
he saw her feet and the lower half of her body. Her body was curled up into a fetal position and Glenn immediately then dialed 911 and waited for authorities to arrive. Now when police got there, they had no way of identifying Orsoya because she had no identification on her. So because of that, they were really at square one, or at least they thought because weirdly enough, but also, Luckily enough, there was a trail of blood that basically mapped out exactly where this bag had come from. It was almost as if authorities were looking at a treasure map and it was just leading them from one point to the next. So authorities then followed this trail of blood and it led them a half mile away from where they found the bag and it led them to the Forest Hills residential neighborhood, more specifically, or Soya's house. And so because the trail of blood led police back to her home, authorities were able to identify her. After an autopsy was performed, it was concluded that Orsoya suffered from 58 stab wounds overall. She was stabbed in the neck, torso, and arm. However, she died from the stab wounds in her neck. Now, when her autopsy was performed, it showed that Orsoya did have defensive wounds on her fingers and palms, so she did try to fight back. So after police are led to Orsoya's house, they identify Orsoya as being the woman in the bag. They then go and knock on her door. And there is some conflicting reports on whether or not police got an answer when they knocked on the door or whether or not they just let themselves in. Either way it happened, authorities came in contact with Leo, who again is 13 years old. He's Orsoya's youngest son. And there has been a lot of scrutiny towards the NYPD on how they treated Leo and for pretty understandable reasons, because when authorities got their hands on Leo, they pretty much immediately treated him as if he was the one responsible for his mother's murder. Right when they got to the house, they put Leo in handcuffs and sent him off to the police station for questioning. Again, Leo is 13 and he did not have a consenting adult there to kind of guide him through that because he is underage. Not only that, Leo was still in his pajamas. He was not wearing any shoes. And Leo was half asleep to begin with when authorities arrived. So you can imagine what was going on in his mind when authorities showed up to his house, handcuffed him, sent him off to the police station, basically treating him as a suspect. And then throughout all of this, somewhere along the way, finding out that his mother had been brutally murdered. So when police brought Leo to the station, they pretty much interrogated him, but quickly realized that he had nothing to do with it. And so they basically put him through all of that trauma for nothing. And that's not to say that, you know, everyone shouldn't be looked at in a situation like this, because we've seen cases where 13, 14, 12 year olds have committed horrific, horrific crimes. However, to just jump to that conclusion so quickly is where the NYPD has really been put under fire. Now, during all of this, while Leah was at the station and being interrogated, Harold and Jamie are informed about what has happened. They were actually on their way back. They were packing up their belongings to head to the airport, to head back to New York when they got the call from police. Now, when Harold got this phone call, obviously he was devastated. How could you not be? You can't even fathom what someone goes through when they receive news like this. However, something in his mind clicked. 
because he told police that on the early morning hours of April 16th, so that very morning, he received a very strange text message from Orsaya's phone. The text read, quote, your whole family is next. Your wife sent me to jail some years ago. I'm back, end quote. Now, as you can imagine, this is a horrific text for anyone to receive, but then you put it into the context of what is happening, and it is chilling. Now, all in all, Harold has not made many public statements, so there isn't a lot that we know when it comes to this text. But what we do know is that he received it on the early morning hours of April 16th, and it was sent from Orsaya's phone. Now, when it comes to the investigation, police really didn't know where to turn to. They started retracing Orsaya's steps that night and thought maybe the person responsible for this was someone that she had met through her sequence of events the night prior. Was it someone that she met at the bar? Was it someone she met at the show? Was it someone who saw her walking from place to place and decided to stalk her? Now, the employees who worked at the bar said that Orsoya wasn't seen talking to anyone. She didn't look like she was waiting on anyone. She was just there by herself enjoying a drink. So the list of potential people who could do this was endless, but there was one thing that they did know, and it is something that we have seen time and time again in these cases, and that is that this was a crime of passion. Police knew that stabbing someone 58 times is not a crime of opportunity. It is not a burglary gone wrong because nothing was stolen from the home. To stab someone 58 times, you have to be very angry and very passionate about killing them. So based off of those facts, this led police to believe that whoever murdered Orsaya was someone who knew her. Now, when it came to the physical evidence, police found that there was blood on the main floor of the house as well as the basement. Now, there was way more blood found in the basement than on the first story of the home. So because of that, police assumed that this attack occurred in the basement of the home and not on the first floor, just due to the amount of blood that was found. Along with that, police also found what they believed to be the murder weapon, which was a knife that belonged to the Gal family. So they found the knife, they find blood, there was no sign of forced entry whatsoever, which again made police believe that whoever did this was someone that Orsaya knew. And along with all of that, police also found a very interesting note on the refrigerator. This note was taped to the refrigerator and just said, quote unquote, get a new handyman. Now, just as I had a lot of questions when it came to that note, I'm sure you guys have many thoughts and questions on it as well. However, it all will make sense in a little bit. Now, based off of the timeline that police were able to put together, they believed that Orsaya's attacker arrived at her house shortly after she did, sometime between 12.20 a.m. and 12.30 a.m., so roughly about 30 minutes after she got there. Now, luckily, throughout this entire investigation and as police were trying to put the pieces together, there was a neighbor who came forward who actually had surveillance footage from their doorbell camera that captured a man rolling a duffel bag down the street. Now, this was the same duffel bag that Orsoya was found in. The footage shows a timestamp of 4.30 a.m., so this was hours after Orsoya returned home. 
So now police are working with a lot of moving parts. You have the murder weapon, you have the note, you have the video surveillance footage, you have the blood evidence in the basement as well as the first floor. You have the text that Orsoya's husband received that early morning. So there's weird things happening all the way around in this case, and police are trying to do their best to put the pieces together. And they did have their eyes on multiple people. This was one of those cases where it wasn't that they didn't have any suspects, they almost had too many potential suspects. And that was because when police recovered Orsaya's phone, they discovered that she had been texting multiple people the night before she was murdered. On April 15th, police discovered that Orsoya had been texting several other men. The context of those texts haven't been released, so we don't really know what the conversations were about. However, it was said that she was texting about three to four other men that night. And so police obviously wanted to speak with these men. They wanted to figure out what their connection was to Orsaya, if they had plans to meet up with her that night. And they also wanted to talk to whoever this handyman was because clearly this note had some significance and police wanted to figure out who the family handyman was. And so along with the four people that Orsaya was texting that night, they also wanted to get this handyman in and see what his connection was and if he potentially had anything to do with it. So police had a lot more questions than answers at this point. However, this is when everything shifted. So on the days after Orsaya's murder, there was 24-hour police surveillance sitting in the Forest Hills neighborhood. So there was a squad car there 24-7. So now we move to that Wednesday, which was April 19th. So less than a week after the murder, and there is a police car sitting in the Forest Hills neighborhood. And while the police officers were sitting in this car, they ended up getting approached by a man. And once they were approached by this man, he told them, quote, I hear that you're looking for me, end quote. Now, he made it very clear to police that this was in reference to Orsoya because he told them that he was the one responsible for her murder. Now, obviously police were very thrown off at this because how often is it that a murderer will walk up to a cop and voluntarily say that they were the ones who did it? It almost is unheard of. So because of this, police knew they needed to act quickly and they brought this man into the police station for questioning where again, he confessed. So you're probably sitting here now and wondering who on earth is this man? What is his name? And we are going to get into all of that. However, before we do, we're going to take a quick moment and thank our sponsors. So who is this mystery man that has confessed to this horrific crime? that would be a 44-year-old man named David Banola. Now, David was actually working as a handyman at the time of the murder. 
However, his dream was to be an aspiring filmmaker, and he came over to the United States illegally from Mexico about 21 years ago and has been living here ever since. Now, it is reported that he is legally married and has two children of his own, and it actually has been said that David's wife and kids lived in the Forest Hills area at the time. However, David and his wife are estranged, and he lived in an apartment by himself not too far away from them. Now, just to put it bluntly, David is a weird guy. Now, if you're familiar with YouTube, you would know that you can make playlists of videos and compile them together, and you can go back and look at your playlists, and it's just easier to access the videos that you like. And so David had many playlists on his YouTube account, and these playlists were not of his videos because he didn't really have any videos. They were just videos of other people, but the types of videos that he was saving and putting into these playlists were a little concerning. These videos basically had two categories. One was crime and one was women. Now the crime category and the videos that he had in that playlist were about people getting murdered, raped, stabbed, different accidents that had been happening in the New York area. And then when it came to the women category, he was saving a lot of videos and you guys will probably know the kind of videos I'm talking about. They're the kind that quite honestly, a lot of people make fun of and they kind of take it as satire. They're basically just tips on how to get any woman. And the videos say that. They say how to get any woman you want, how to not take no for an answer, how to get any woman to fall in love with you how to be irresistible towards women. He even had one saved about how to seduce a married woman. So a lot of these were just centered around a very misogynistic approach, and that is why a lot of people just view them as satire on a day-to-day -day basis. However, David seemed to take these videos very seriously, and it's been reported that David had a talent of making women feel very uncomfortable, just in general. David would often visit coffee shops in New York and make the female employees feel very, very uncomfortable. It was said that he would order his coffee and then sit in a table in direct view of the baristas who worked there and would just constantly watch them. He would write them love letters and love songs and put it in their tip jars. He would ask them very personal questions about their love lives. He even proposed to two different employees at one point, and he also had the police called on him on one specific occasion. So as much as it was an incredible shock for people who kind of knew David in their passing or these baristas, for example, to see that David was the one who was responsible for this or claiming that he was responsible for this, it also wasn't very surprising because they knew him as the creepy guy who would not leave them alone and they had to file harassment complaints on him multiple times. So when police finally sat David down at the station and he was making his confession, not only did he confess that he was the one who murdered Orsaya, but he also confessed that he was the one who wrote the note. And that made a lot of sense to police because David was their handyman. So the note, get a new handyman, made sense in this context. 
Now, when police looked back at Facebook activity, they could find that David had commented on several of Orsaya's posts dating back to 2019, complimenting her on several. Now, it should be noted that due to the note on the fridge, as well as due to Orsaya's cell phone records, police did have their eyes on David. So this wasn't just some random guy that they had never heard of. They had heard his name because they knew that he had worked on their house. However, they didn't have have enough information to arrest him and they certainly did not think that he was just going to outright confess to it. Now, in terms of physical evidence that connected David to the murder, police were able to recover boots that belonged to David that had Orsaya's blood on them, as well as bloody bandages. Now, it was also discovered that after the murder, David actually went to a doctor to have the cuts on his hands treated because he did end up getting cut in the attack as well. And along with all of that, he is also seen on surveillance shortly after the murder with bandages wrapped around his hands. So what is the deal between David and Orsaya? Because yes, he is the handyman, but how did we get here? Well, apparently, when David sat down with authorities, he told them that him and Orsaya had been in an on and off relationship for the past two years. David said that the two of them were on a break before they decided to get back together in April of 2022, so just two months ago. However, he said that Orsoya was the one that broke things off again shortly after that. In his initial claim, David said that this breakup is what prompted him to go over to Orsoya's house the night of the murder. He said that when he arrived to the house, him and Orsoya were talking on the main level, so the first floor. However, David said that after some time, the conversation started to get heated and they started arguing. So Orsoya suggested that they move the conversation to the basement, that way they wouldn't wake up Leo, who was sleeping upstairs. Now, he said that when the conversation was moved to the basement, he got increasingly angry and ultimately saw Red and could not control his anger and just started stabbing her with the knife that he weirdly enough brought into the basement to begin with. And that's just an example of David's stories not really making a lot of sense because in the beginning, David was very much acting as if this just happened out of nowhere and that this was a very spur of the moment thing. However, this had to have been premeditated to some degree if David took the knife down to the basement to have that conversation. That's where his story loses a little bit of credibility because he's saying, we started talking on the first floor, we were kind of getting a little loud having this argument, and then we decided to go into the basement to finish the conversation, and then things just got out of control from there. But somewhere along the way, he had to have picked up that knife and took it into the basement with him. So whether or not he forced Orsaya into the basement or whether it was he grabbed the knife without Orsaya seeing it and then walked into the basement, he, to some degree, knew that he was going to take this knife into the basement and kill her with it. David said that after he had killed Orsaya, he then looked around the house for something to put her body in, and that is when he found her son's hockey bag and stuffed her body into it, and then waited in the house until about 4.30 a.m. before dragging her body down the street because he said he didn't want Orsaya's son, Leo, waking up and seeing his mother in that state. 
Now, in order to obviously get the full story and to get as much information as possible, police and detectives have spoke with David several times, and he has changed his story multiple times throughout these conversations. And in one of their more recent conversations, David disclosed a piece of information as to what his real motive was. In a more recent interrogation, David has said that the reason he went over to Orsoya's house to begin with was because he believed that she had given him HIV. Along with that, David claimed that Orsoya cheated on him, which is a very rich claim considering the circumstances, and that he was used by her, and that she said that she loved him and was now breaking up with him again, and it was all just too much for him to handle. However, what really prompted him to go over is the HIV thing that he's claiming. David claimed that while he was over at the house, he asked Orsoya why she had given him HIV, and she adamantly denied having it. She said that she did not have HIV, and if he had it, it was not from her. He also claimed that in the midst of them having this conversation, Orsoya received a phone call from another man, and this just made David absolutely lose it. And in this new story, David claims that Orsoya was the one who actually grabbed the knife first, and then David tried to get the knife out of her hand, and in turn, the two of them just started fighting physically, and David ended the fight by stabbing Orsoya to death. After this, he claims that he was the one that sent the chilling text to Harold, and he said that none of what he said in the text was true. He just wanted a way to get the spotlight off of him, which you would think if that was the case, he wouldn't put the get a new handyman note on the fridge, but I digress. After that, David claims that he stole Orsoya's laptop because there were very explicit videos of him on there and then threw her laptop in the Hudson River. Now, here's the thing. We do not know about the HIV claim. It has not been released whether or not David has HIV. It has not been released whether or not Orsoya had HIV. And quite frankly, it is not our business. However, I think it is fair to say that everything that David says should be taken with the biggest grain of salt that you can find on planet Earth. David has switched up his story so many times that we don't know what the truth is or if any of these versions are what actually happened. He could have just made a surprise visit to Orsoya's house that night. We don't know what happened. Quite frankly, I think that he is making up all of these stories and changing his version of events so many times in order to try and tear down Orsoya's reputation. If you want my personal opinion, I don't truly believe the HIV claim is real, or maybe he used it as an excuse to talk to her, but I don't think that that was his reason in going over there that night. And obviously anyone who commits an act like this, there's a screw loose somewhere. Wherever you want to find it, it's there's one loose in there. And I think it's very fair to say that that is the case with David as well. It's been said by police and detectives and the public that he is not the most stable person in the world. And I think that that is shown through the series of events even before the murder, but also obviously now including the murder. Now, where we stand right now is that David has been arrested and charged with second-degree murder, first-degree criminal tampering, and fourth-degree criminal possession of a weapon. 
Now, regardless of the fact that he has confessed to this murder on two different occasions at least, he is pleading not guilty to these charges, but if he is convicted, he will get 25 years to life. Now, again, like I said, we don't really know what happened here. We don't know why David went over to Orsoya's house that night. We don't know what set him off. We don't know what triggered him. We don't know why he did what he did. We don't know if this was premeditated to the point where he knew that that's what was going to happen and that was his mission once he got there, or if he went over there to have a conversation and it genuinely went south because of his rage. So I'm really interested to hear what your theories are on that because I'm teetering with both options in my head. I think it is very possible that he was angry about the breakup and then went over there to kill her. I also think it's possible that he went over there to try to win her back and she rejected him again and that sparked the anger. I think it's possible that he went over there to talk to her and maybe she did get a text from someone else or a call from another man and that's what set him off. All of them seem like very plausible possibilities. However, the one that I just can't get on board with is this HIV thing. It just seems very out of left field and seems like he's trying to make an excuse for his behavior. So now that we're wrapping up this episode, I know we mentioned this in the beginning, but I do want to reiterate. The victim blaming in this case and towards Orsoya has been unreal. The public shame that Orsoya has received after she has been murdered in one of the most brutal ways is sickening to see. And I'm sure you can imagine what people are saying because obviously there were some things going on in Orsoya's life that we don't know the full story of. So we can't make an accurate assumption. We don't know what was going on in the marriage between Harold and Orsoya, the options are quite literally endless. They could have had an open marriage, or maybe they didn't, but maybe Harold knew about the affair, or maybe Orsaya was afraid to say something about David because clearly he has some mental instability. We just don't know. But what we do know is that Orsoya did not deserve to be murdered. Again, point blank, period, however you want to spin it. She should still be here. She should still be a mother to her kids. She should still be living her life. And David thought that he was entitled enough to take that away from her. So I will definitely be watching as this case unfolds in the future, and I will keep you guys updated on it as well. I really am interested to hear what your theories are about this case, because while this case is solved, we don't necessarily know why. We have the who, we have the what, we have the when, we have the where, we don't have the why. But I'm really interested in seeing what you guys have to say about this one. So with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit the subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube and you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, Stay safe. Bye, guys.